Um, sober, we're talking about sober-mindedness, and you know, we're, you're always talking about sober. Being sober is very important, and there's a lot of examples of um, you know, really, really powerful men that were sober, and they were called to be sober, like John the Baptist. He was called to be sober, to never drink. Samson was also had that Nazarite vow, and he was not supposed to drink, but he did. Um, but there's many others. You know, John the Baptist was called to never drink, to never uh, have alcohol, and he was called the greatest born of all, of, of all women, of greatest ever born um, of women. And so a lot to be said about sober-minded. You know, people want to argue about how much to drink, how much they can, they can't, legalistic. It gets a very big thing. But we are called to be sober-minded. And that's the first step. Um, being sober is the first step of being sober-minded. The sober-minded part means that you are aware of these circumstances. When you are, the, the, that, that idea of you're, you slam on your brakes, you're skidding towards a, a cliff, and you stop just before the cliff, and you're like, wow, that was so close, I could have been killed. It's sobering. That's a sobering moment. And you guys, we need to realize that it's a sobering time right now. It's really some heavy times. Um, as I was preparing for a current events message, which the Lord changed, which is awesome. I love how he does it because he gave me a couple of nuggets that I never saw in the uh, story of David and Goliath. And so that's why I want to go through it. But um, the, um, the current events today are a, very much like Goliath, in my opinion. Um, they are trying to defy God. The things that are happening, that are being said and done with the transgender community and, and, and so many other things. Um, just the lies that are out there. Um, lies in the church, sadly. There's a lot of churches that are not teaching the truth. So you're getting this bombing of, of lies from Satan saying that to these kids, hey, if you're going to be transgender, you're going to be happier because you're having a hard time with who you are. So if you switch your sex, you'll be happier and you'll, you'll be fine if you do that. What a lie. Horrible, horrible lie. Then on the other hand, you have the church that's supposed to be combating all these lies that are being created by the world. And the church isn't getting it straight in a lot of cases, sadly. They're not, the pastors and teachers are not teaching the truth. They're telling you once you're saved, you're always saved. They're teaching many other things that are heretical. And so it, the, the combination of the two is just showing you there's a, a giant slide happening. The, the end times are coming. And it's inevitable, and we know it's coming, and praise the Lord for it. And one of the nuggets the Lord gave me, I'll, I'll, I'll share later, um, is a call to arms, meaning what can we do as Christians to fight this fight? Um, one thing that always you know, irritated me a little bit with watching like Fox News, let's say, watching Tucker, I really enjoyed watching Tucker. He said a lot of things, I'm like, I can't believe they're letting him say that. Well, eventually, <laughs> they're not letting him say that. And they're blaming it on the, you know, something completely different is why they terminated him. But he really did say a lot of things that were very insightful and very true. But what did it do? Ultimately, when you're done watching those shows, you're like, wow, we're being, you know, things are so bad, but what can I do? What was my call to arms after watching Fox News besides just being mad or you know, uh, riled up? Or what can I do? There's nothing you could do. You just change the channel or go do something different. But the Lord has given us a call to arms, and I'll explain that at the end here. Um, through the story of David and Goliath, um, there is a call to arms, and I love it. And um, so 
With all that said, uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17, we'll get started. 1 Samuel 17. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. All right, so right out of the gate, the Philistines are in Judah. They're trespassing. I wonder why there's a war. It's the Israelites' job to keep these trespassers out of their land. This is our land. You guys need to leave. We're going to have a war over it. We're going to fight about it. We're going to drive you out. So technically, Israel should be on the offensive. And so, um, and they camped. So the Philistines are camping. Uh, they're camped between Soko and Azekah and Ephes-Damim. Saul and the men of Israel were assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah. And they drew up in the, in the battle formation to confront the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on the mountain on one side, while Israel was standing on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. You couldn't ask for better stadium seating than that. You've got one army on the mountain, on top of a mountain over here, and another on top of a mountain over here, and a valley in the middle. And where do they go to meet to fight? So everybody can see when David and Goliath, they can probably barely see David, they can see Goliath easily, but... Anyhow, because David's so little, um, down the valley, everybody could watch this battle. All eyes are going to be on this coming up battle. Then a champion came forward from the army encampments of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath. His army encampment of the Philistines... named Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits and a span, about nine foot six. It's probably, he could have been taller, could have been a little shorter, but they say approximately nine six. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze, 125 pounds. He also had a bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze saber slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of the spear weighed 600 shekels. That's 19 pounds. Your average sledgehammer is 2 to 15 pounds. You'd like throwing a, a big sledgehammer as a spear. Pretty gnarly guy. And his shield carrier walked in front of him. I mean, he was really like a modern-day tank. Goliath was a modern-day tank. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle formation? Why are you guys coming out? If you're not going to attack us and do something about it, why are you coming out and drawing against us? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Well, right there is a problem. Servant of Saul. Do you remember a little earlier when the people said, we want a king, we want a king? And Samuel's like, no, you don't want a king. God is our king. No, we want to be like the other lands. We want a king. God says, fine, I'll give him a king. Here's Saul. And so now, who do the Israelites follow? Who, do they, who are they being called followers of? Saul, not of God. We follow people, <laughs> you got problems. So many Christians today are like, I'm going to, you know, that pastor did this, or that person did this, or this Christian said that. And it's like, well, people are going to fail. Saul failed big time. But we need to keep our eyes on the Lord. The Lord does not fail. And so we get back to the story here. So am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Um, now, Goliath was being reasonable here. Goliath is giving them, hey, this is a, I've got a good idea. How about 
We just have a one-on-one. -on -one. You guys take your best. I'm their best. I'm their champion. And we'll just have it out. Instead of all of us just murdering everybody, like usually what happens, we'll just do a nice little one-on-one, -on -one, and whoever wins, winner takes all. That was the deal. So Goliath says, choose a man for your, uh, as your representative and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, then he will become your servant. Did I say that right? No. Okay, I didn't sound right. If he is able to fight me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. Now it's quite a bet. As we're going to move forward here in a second, before I forget, what if David lost? They really had a lot going on. Uh, I was talking to Bob earlier, and he's like, dude, check this out. And I'm like, that makes pretty, I didn't think of it this way, but it was a big deal. I mean, you guys, see, it's all of us, and we're going to put our bet on little David. And if he loses, which he's going to, because he's little David, we're all going to become their servants. So it was quite a thing. Um, Saul went along with it, and the, and the, obviously the generals and the commanders had to maybe known or, and let him go and do it. And it was, there was a lot of faith going on right there. Um, so this one-on-one, -on -one, it reminded me of something. It reminded me of in John eleven forty nine. John eleven forty nine says, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor are you taking into account that it is in your best interest that one man die for the people and that the whole nation not perish instead. Talking about Jesus. You know, kill Jesus and we will be able to maintain Israel. We'll be able to keep order as we have and we'll, this whole threat of Christianity will be put away. So both Caiaphas and Goliath believed they had the upper hand. Goliath thought it was going to be a done deal. <laughs> Man, we'll just send a guy out here, I'll kill him, and we'll be done. We'll just move on. You guys will serve us. Uh, Caiaphas is like, just kill Jesus, get rid of him, and we'll be able to maintain um, our, what we have currently going, and nothing will need to change. And it was through killing. They both had to kill to do it, which is pretty gnarly. It wasn't a, a simple thing. It was, it was having to kill. So then Goliath, in verse 10 here, says, Then the Philistine said, I have defied the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very fearful. Now David was a son of the Aphrodite of Bethlehem in Judah, the man whose name was Jesse, and he had eight sons. And Jesse was old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. The three older sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. And the names of these three sons who had gone into battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and second to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. So David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock. Remember that, tend his father's flock, because that's going to be rewarded here in a little, in a little while. <clears throat> I think it's interesting. Father's flock at Bethlehem. And the Philistine came forward morning and evening and took his stand for 40 days. 40 days, you guys, is brought up in the Bible. Four, not 40 days, 40. The number 40 is used 146 times in the Bible. And it typically means a time of testing, trial, trial or probation. 
That's what 40 usually stands for. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten slices of cheese to the commander of their thousands. Okay, so we don't really know what the number of soldiers are here. But it must be at least 2,000 because he has to take this cheese to the commander who's over his three sons. So, yeah, one specific, so it's at least 2,000. It's probably way more than that, but not to go any further than what the scripture says. So at least 2,000 people, soldiers. And, um, and look into the well-being of your brothers and bring back confirmation from them. I think what he was really saying was, let me know if they're dead or not. I mean, what kind of confirmation are you going to get as a dad? You know, yeah, we're doing great. We're fighting war. Hey, things are wonderful. No, just let me know they're alive. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. So David got up early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the entrenchment encircling the camp while the army was going out into battle formation, shouting the war cry. So, but they're not really fighting, you guys. I call this a push fight. You know what a push fight is? So when two guys push, hey, man, leave me alone. Hey, no. And, and, you, and you push each other, but you never, you never punch. You push, and you say things, and, and nothing ever happens. It's a push fight. <clears throat> so they're having a push fight. The Philistines and the Israelites are having a push fight. So Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle formation, army against army. Then David left the baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line. You want to see what's going on. For a little shepherd boy to go out to the battle line would be pretty intense. And he entered the gate and greeted his brothers. <clears throat> and as he was speaking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke <clears throat> these same words. But this time, but this time David heard them. And it's funny, behold is not mentioned in the first when they first announced Goliath um, back in verse 10. Um, Behold is brought when David's there. And it just shows me, I, I get this feeling of David just being like, wow, look at this guy. Behold, here's Goliath, this monster. Look at him. He's a, a, just a beast. And it reminds me, you guys, like quick story. I was in Alaska with some guys, my dad, and we were hunting caribou. And it's about noontime, and we're on the beach, and there's sand dunes around us. And we're eating, we're on ATCs, there's nothing around us but ATCs, and, and there was two of us at the time, so it was three total, including myself. And when you're eating, you're talking, you're kind of just looking around, you know, see geese or who knows what you're going to see, and you're looking around. And I look off, and not that far off is this brown bear, grizzly bear. And it is just massive. And I got weak in the knees. I'm like, oh my Lord. That is, and I started feeling like a little kid who wants to like grab his mom's hand, like get me out of here. Even with three guys with high-powered rifles, I really felt like if that thing just came at us, there would be no, it would have, it would just, it would destroy us. And it was a behold moment. And I think that's what David was doing. He's like, wow, check this guy out. Behold the champion, the Philistine. 
So verse 24, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were very fearful. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will make the man who kills him wealthy with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Okay, now this was known amongst the soldiers. But David just got there. He didn't know this. He did not know that there was this, this carrot out there for all these soldiers to go out and take care of this guy who's mocking Israel. I mean, besides doing what you're supposed to do and drive the Philistines out of your land because they're trespassing, and you're called to, as a soldier, do your job, and, but nobody would. And there's even this huge bounty of all this stuff that you're going to get if you go kill Goliath, but nobody would. So I love what David says. It's awesome. Then David said to the men who were standing by him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and rids Israel of the disgrace? What's David's concern there? Is that riches? The king's daughter? Nope. Who is going to fix this problem of this guy making this disgrace of God and Israel? Who's going to shut this guy up? What do I get if we shut this guy up? And he's not concerned about the other things. He wants to fix the problem. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he has dared to defy the armies of the living God? And remember, David was anointed, right? A little earlier, he was anointed by Samuel. And so he had the Holy Spirit. And he wasn't afraid. He might be young, but he wasn't afraid. Huh, makes me think. You know, they used a lot, huh, a lot of um, the suicide bombers in World War II were very young. The uh, kamikazes were young and fearless. But David wasn't. That was stupid. They get them all drugged up, too. They would be all drugged up and then go kill themselves for their country. David was none of that. He was just young and full of the Holy Spirit and saw what was wrong and was going to fix the problem. Um, the people answered him in agreement with this statement saying, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. Now, it's, you know, they go back to saying, here's what you're going to get if you kill him. So now, I call this the embarrassed Eliab. Eliab is David's oldest brother. He's unanointed, he's fleshly, and he's embarrassed. Why is he embarrassed? Because Samuel just showed up, and, and now, well, I'm going to read the scripture. Um, Samuel shows up and um, doesn't pick him. He's the oldest he should have been, right? The oldest always goes first. They get all the birthrights and everything else. Go to the oldest, and, and, he's, and he didn't get it. Like, God says, no, he's, he's not the one. I don't look at the outside like man does. I look at the heart. So... Um, so earlier in Samuel, it says literally this. He looked at Eliab, the oldest who we're talking about here, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him. Like this guy is a soldier. He's already in Saul's army. He's already a soldier. He's the oldest. And so Samuel's even like, this is the guy. This is the guy. And um, so Samuel says, surely the Lord's anointed is standing before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God does not see man 
uh, does not see as man sees, since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass before Samuel. But he said, the Lord has not chosen this one, or this one, or the next one, or the next one, or the next one, until Samuel finally says, is this all your kids? And he's like, well, Jesse's like, mm, I think I do have one more. Uh, David, yeah, David, where's David? So we go get David. He's, he's working. These guys are all standing around, you know, doing whatever, but David's out in the field working. So let me go get that guy. Bring him over here. It's not him for sure because he's just a little sheep herder, punk kid who's so young he doesn't have a beard yet. You know, they called him young because he was, uh, they said at that time, if you didn't have a beard, you're considered young. So you go get him, and sure enough, here he is. This is the guy. This is the guy. Um, so now, to get back to the story of Eliab, the oldest brother, um, his oldest brother heard him when he spoke to the men. So Eliab's overhearing what David's saying to the men, saying these things. Um, so Eliab heard him when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why is it that you have come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Remember the herd? We are talking about earlier. Now it's just a few sheep in the wilderness. Hey, little punk kid, where's your dumb little sheep that you leave out in the wilderness, your few that you have? It went from, you know, being this father's keeper of the sheep to just a few little... <laughs> I think it's funny how it just totally downgrades what his, his brother's doing. I myself, as Eliab speaking, know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you have come down, for you have come down in order to see the battle. Technically, it was a lack of a battle. There was no battle. Like I said, it was a push fight. There was nothing really happening. But David said, as a little brother does, what have I done now? Why are you picking on me? I just see this problem, and I think it should be addressed. Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people replied with the same words as before. So when the words that David spoke were heard, uh, they informed Saul, and, he's, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, May no one's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are only a youth, while he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. Um, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a sheep from the flock, I went out after it and attacked it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it rose up against me, I grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. You know what's funny? For years, I always thought that David killed the bear in the line with a sling. Like God's way of letting him like practice, you know, getting your heart rate down, not freaking out when he's facing Goliath. Like he's ready for this battle. God's been preparing him for this battle specifically with the sling and killing these things. But it wasn't. God will give you what you need when you need it. And you don't know what it's going to be. It tripped me out when I was reading this that he grabbed it by its mane and struck it and killed it. Well, he never used a sling before. According to Scripture, we haven't seen him use a sling before to kill anything. He may have, but it doesn't say that he has. So the Lord had him use that sling and that rock at that time to kill that giant. 
So praise the Lord. He will give you what you need when you need it. If you stay in him, you're good to go. Um, <clears throat> your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul, then it goes through how they're trying to strap on all the armor onto David, and David is like, this isn't working. All this stuff's so heavy and cumbersome. I just can't even, I can't even walk in this stuff. So just take it off. I'll take my staff, and I'm just going to go. And like we were talking about earlier, uh, they trusted him to go. And the, the bet was, it was an all-chips-in deal. It was, we either win, and we either kill Goliath and we, and we win, or we're going to become servants. And yet they were willing to let him go. I guess if you see somebody that really is like, like, yeah, uh, determined and, and is like, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. When you see that determination in somebody, sometimes it's like, he's going to do it. You know, it's, it's odds are good, but he's going to do it. This kid is like, wants to go and he's going to do it. And it was beautiful. And um, so, we'll, um, so we'll get down a little further. It says, David took them off, took off all the armor they put on because it just wasn't working. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, that is, in his shepherd's pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Here's the first little nugget God gave me that I thought was very interesting. What was Peter's name that Christ gave him? Little Rock. Little Rock. David is taking little rocks to go out there and slay this giant. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church on this little rock, with this little rock. And that little rock went into, Saul, into Goliath and dropped him, just as Peter went into the world and smacked Satan down in so many ways. And as we do to this day, we're also a form of little rock that we are walking in the Spirit and doing the Lord's will and caring about his business and doing these things. So it's very interesting that Peter was literally called Little Rock. Then the Philistine came and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. If I was Goliath, I would have told the shield bearer, walk up there, take that shield, knock that kid down, and kill him with the shield. And I'm going back to sleep. That's if I was Goliath. Because it wasn't even a deal. It was like he was a little kid. It was an easy deal. But he didn't. Um, with the shield bearer in front of him, uh, verse 42, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he was contemptuous of him. Like, man, you got to be kidding me, this little guy. For he was only a youth, again, no beard, and reddish. He might have had red hair and freckles, who knows, with a handsome appearance. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come in with a stick? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And I can just see David getting angry. Like, man, you, as, as we're going to read here, you, it looks like there's like some anger in his tone, in my opinion. He's just like, you know what? You don't curse my God. And you know what's funny? You know what gets me a little hot under the collar is when folks want to when non-believers say, or even a believer sometimes, sadly, say that evolution is a fact. 
that God didn't make earth. It makes me hot on the collar. I don't know why, but it really bugs me that somebody wants to say that God did not make everything that we have, that it all happened on accident and, and something came from nothing, and it just, it really irritates me. So in that same way, I think David's just irritated um, with this, this guy. And um, so the Philistine also said to David, and you know what's funny is the Philistine, Goliath, gets one sentence. David gets a whole paragraph of what he's going to do. What, the, what Goliath, the Philistine, was saying was just a bunch of rhetoric, just a bunch of, I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and, da, 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 and I'm shooting his mouth off. David was prophesying. <laughs> Big difference. David was prophesying. He's telling him what's going to happen. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild animals. That's your one line, Goliath. That's all you get. But David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a saber, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you and remove your head from you. Then I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this entire assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will hand you over to us. Goliath's probably going... Okay, uh, <laughs> this kid can talk. <laughs> he talks a mean game. Um, verse 48, then it happened while the Philistine came closer to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. And the stone penetrated his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and the stone. He struck the Philistine and killed him, and there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and finished him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Then the men of Israel and Judah rose up and shouted, and they pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the Philistine dead lay among the way to Sharam, even to Gath. Remember Gath? Goliath of Gath? Goliath's hometown. They chased him through Goliath's hometown and Ekron. Then the sons of Israel returned from their close pursuit of the Philistines and plundered their camps. And David took the Philistine's head and brought it to Jerusalem, where it is to this day. No, I'm kidding. Um, but he put his weapons in his tent. So David hung, hung on to his weapons. So you guys, that's the story of David and Goliath, right? Gnarly story. Um, it tells us that we can overcome major things in our life through the power of the Spirit. And it's a great story in that regard. But it's not a one and done, you guys. Um, he killed that giant, and you're going to kill that giant. And as a Christian, those giants keep coming, as you will see. 2 Samuel, verse 21, verse 15. Now when the Philistines were at war with Israel again, David went down and his servants with him. And when they fought against the Philistines, David became weary. Then 
Ishbi Benab, who was among the descendants of the giant, uh, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, had strapped on a new sword, and he intended to kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zerui, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, You shall not go out again with us to battle, so that you do not extinguish the lamp of Israel. The Holy Spirit was in David, and technically the lamp of Israel, and we don't want you dying. They didn't know any better, but he wasn't going to die. The Lord had him. So there's another giant. Just because you slayed a giant as a Christian doesn't mean you're done. Another one shows up. And then verse 18, Now it came about after this that there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sabaikai hushed the tight, struck and killed Saph, who was among the descendants of the giant. And there was war with the Philistines against, again at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Jar-Oregum, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And there was war at Gath again, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he also had been born to the giant, David's offspring, or uh, Goliath's offspring, when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shammai, David's brother, struck and killed him. These four were born to the giant at Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. The first time David's a picture of Christ. The second time here, it's a picture of us and Christ. Teamwork, Christian brotherhood. It was a team that killed those four giants that last time we got to stay together, you guys. It's critical that iron sharpens iron and that we love each other and we care for each other and watch out for each other. I think it's so huge. Okay. Um, so I'm going to touch on a few things that I was going to key off of the gods that Goliath was swearing by and for that he was using to defeat Israel. And some of these things can be argued as gods or not. Um, so I'm just going to list off a few things I came up with that are current events and, um, and just trying to paint a little picture of how these current events are things that are literally trying to taunt and mock God. Um, so... With that, um, we have got artificial intelligence. That's something that's new and very intense. A, um, a bot, Chaos GPT, is an altered version of OpenAI's AutoGPT, the publicly available open source application that can process human language and respond to tasks assigned by users. In so I'm just going to repeat this one little quote here. Um, first thing that I find interesting is that they, they task this AI to, to this. Uh, on April 5th, the bot was asked to complete five goals, destroy humanity, establish global dominance, uh, cause chaos and destruction, control humanity through manipulation, and attain immorality. 
Now, it's interesting, some of those things, if you destroy humanity, then two of those things just go away automatically. So I don't get the question. It really doesn't make any sense. But why are people tasking things with that? Why aren't they saying, um, how can we, I mean, from a, a secular standpoint, it would be how can we make things better? How can we make the, the environment better? How can we make a better car? How can we, you know, that would be, from a religious point of view, it would be like, how do we witness to more people? You know, and let's see what AI has to say about something like that. How do we become more effective witnesses or who knows, uh, you know, things along those lines. Um, remember the movie War Games? In the, in the, it's right when, the, when modems became popular. They're just becoming, you know, modem, you can actually go into other computers off of your computer. And um, he, he breaks into that Whopper, the main military computer. And, um, and he says, uh, you know, the, the star says, I want to play thermonuclear war. And the computer says, how about a nice game of chess? No, I want to play thermonuclear war. Um, it, it reminds me of this. It's like, you know, why can't we ask for nice things? You know, why do they got to do these crazy things? So anyhow, they do that. And um, um, an alarming tweet. So here's, here's, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but and I just want to repeat this. And it says, but in one alarming tweet pushed out by the bot, the bot said this after these things. This is what it had to say about humanity. This is an AI, artificial intelligence about humanity. Human beings are amongst the most destructive and selfish creatures in existence. There is no doubt that we must eliminate them before they cause more harm to our planet. I, for one, am committed to doing so. It's funny he calls it our planet, AI. Some people say it's, and I haven't got my head around it, but very demonic, um, the whole AI system. Um, I need to study into that more to know more about it. But um, in uh, March, over a thousand experts including Elon Musk and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak, signed an open letter that urged a six-month pause in the training of advanced artificial intelligence models following ChatGPT's rise, arguing the systems could pose profound risks to society and humanity. You know, it's funny. Who's, who's the, the big doctor wizard pain, not nice guy these days who is like all about vaccines and all that? He's a Microsoft guy. Bill Gates. Where's Bill Gates in this? He's so busy making vaccines and, and all this other stuff that, he's, that he, he's not getting involved with the, you know, Elon Musk is in there and a thousand other people, but, but no Gates. I thought that was interesting. Um, so here's some things that are happening. I don't, I don't list them all. I mean, there's, I came up like 25 things that are like happening. Um, you know, when Joe did Rock and Roll Sorcerers, I, I had heard for years that, you know, music is of the devil, it's evil, it's, it's, it's bad. And so all those things were like dots. It's evil, it's bad, you shouldn't listen to it. They were all dots. And what Rock and Roll Sorcerers did for me was connect all those dots and painted a pretty gnarly picture of what's really happening. And so these are just dots. Um, and I want you to remember that even though these things are happening, Jesus said the end is still not yet. Are, you're going to have a lot of bad things happening, but the end is not yet. There's, then still more has to come. There's two like waves, if you will. And we're not even at the first wave yet. It's coming, I think, quickly. And this is kind of a, a sign of it. Um, abortion. Blood is in the ground. 
Um, COVID protocols, complete control over mankind over a potential medical emergency. You guys, all that stuff that happened with COVID, we pretty much did to ourselves. There was nobody saying you have to stay at home. There's nobody. They wanted you to. There was no man. There was no laws passed. There was no penal codes saying you have to stay home or you couldn't do this or you couldn't do that. It was really just self um, yeah, peer pressure to a degree was a great motivating factor in COVID. Um, you felt like you were weird if you were outside or you didn't have a mask on and people look at you like you're nuts. And anyhow, now imagine if it was a military deal. Imagine the military said, hey, guess what? We're doing this thing. It would have been a whole other ballgame. So the fact that it was just a, a medical aspect that all that happened is quite fascinating because it could have been much, 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 much worse. Uh, marijuana, legal in most states. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, recently, there was a prom king and queen in high school, transgender. The boy dressed like a girl, the girl dressed like a boy, and they have their prom night. Um, video games are gnarly. I mean, I, I can't emphasize, I did a little message last time on video games, and I can't emphasize enough how wicked they are. Video games are, <laughs> the amount of time wasted, uh, yeah, it can go on very, very, and most of them are very evil. Most of the games, there's nothing sweet about them. They're teaching kids bad language, bad actions, bad, 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 and bad. And it's more bad. Um, <laughs> Tucker and Bud Light. You know, Budweiser, Anheuser-Busch, did not make a mistake, you guys. They didn't do this thing and go, oh, we lost five billion bucks. Oh, poor us, poor us. They didn't. They knew exactly what was going to happen. They know their audience so well. They knew exactly what was going to happen to the T. And um, they did it anyhow. You know why they did it? Because Anheuser-Busch, the king of beers, needed to take its crown off and lay it at the feet of the LGBTQ forum, uh, the spirit behind that. They literally took their crown off and, and handed it to them, saying, hey, we bow at the feet of this movement of transgenderism. So did Nike um, and so many others. But it's not interesting. The king of beers <laughs> took their crown off. Um, you know, Tucker, we talked about Tucker earlier. Uh, he told a lot of truths. He really did. A lot of things were very, very true he talked about, and I couldn't believe he, he was getting away with it. And he didn't. They canned him. Um, he makes them so much money. Uh, he would have paid for that whatever, you know, $800 million that... Uh, um, the owner of Fox had to pay was nothing. It was chump change, chump change. You guys also, it was chump change for Anheuser-Busch. They're like a $126 billion company. For them to lose $6 billion is like dropping a $20 bill on the ground. Oh, bummer. You know, it doesn't change anything for them. Nothing. Zero. So, um, robots, autonomous, uh, Wi-Fi controlled everything. I mean, your thermostats, your garage doors, um, are controlled by your phone, um, your lights, your front door, you know, door lock. So many things are controlled through Wi-Fi, and it, it kind of reminds me, and I don't want to get carried away here, of like the Terminator, <laughs> when the computers get smart, or AI, they get smart. And now it has the power to do everything. I mean, you can literally, like, they've been able to disable through the star system on G General Motors products, turn a car off anytime they want via satellite. 
just they put the VIN number in and off, and the car just shuts off. Um, and that's just what they let us know about. There's probably a lot more than that. But there's just so much power now through um, the internet of being able to turn things on and off. Um, that's very interesting. Um, if you steal less than a thousand bucks, you don't even go to jail anymore. Heck, you go and kill people nowadays. You don't have to go to jail. Uh, hate to say it, but Ukraine and Russia. Ukraine is that big. Russia is that big. There's no reason why Ukraine wasn't taken over in like 15 seconds. The fact this thing's dragging on for a year, there's way more going on than we know about. Way more going on than we know about. Um, one Tucker Carlson, he, he did a little spot before he got fired, and they asked him, Tucker, what, is, what would you say is the biggest, um, now, um, like, default, no, I don't say default, to society, um, like the society doesn't know about, or society's, um, gosh, yeah, um, and he said that the, the, the biggest thing that's happening that he would say in the last 20 years that's happening to the U.S. people that's a very negative thing is the lack of information, of true information that they have. Basically, the, the American people do not know what's going on. That's the biggest thing that he'd come up with as a, as a disservice to the U.S. to the U.S. government, or to, I'm sorry, to the U.S. people. We do not know what's going on. We are in the dark. I found that very interesting. Bank failures. When do banks fail? How do banks fail? They loan at 2% uh, and they receive at 10%. How do you mess that up? Yeah. Um, GMO. GMO is an early thing. Um, who knows what? I was watching this thing. They're they? GMOing sugar. They were literally putting human DNA in it to like, help fight against different uh, um, like diseases. They're literally putting human DNA in sugar to help fight human disease. That's just one little thing. Um, I was watching another article where they're GMOing strawberries, making them redder. Well, the problem with taking just a strawberry that's red is it doesn't taste good because it's not ripe. It's not ripe. So what do they do? They GMO the flavor. <laughs> so you get this strawberry that has nothing, virtually no nutrients in it because it's, it's, it's too young or whatever, and it looks wonderful and it, and it tastes wonderful, but it's got nothing in it. That's the stuff they let us know. Sears, 20, uh, 25, you know, they, they talked about um, COVID before it came out. Sears 2025 is the same thing. They're talking about the Sears virus that's going to come out in 2025. They're like saying, but they're saying it's just a model. It's just a scale. It's just a, um, uh, a, a we're just analyzing it to, to be prepared in the future if something like this were to happen. But funny, COVID happened exactly how they, you know, were testing. And human, tra human trafficking. It's a multi-billion dollar holocaust. So, I don't want to go on and on too long, you guys, about, about uh, today's current events, but those are some of the things that are happening. And um, But Jesus said, the end is not yet. Don't let your hearts fail you, because the end is not yet. We have work to do. Um, so I just want to go over this. I don't know how this got in my notes, but um, which empire is the strongest in history? The Mongol Empire existed during the 13th and 14th centuries, and it is recognized as being the largest contiguous land empire in history. 
which empire ruled the longest? The Roman Empire is the longest lasting empire in all recorded history. It dates back to 27 BC and endured for over a thousand years. Which is the biggest empire? The British Empire was the largest empire the world has ever seen. The British Empire covered 13 million square miles of land, more than 22% of the Earth's landmass. The empire had 458 million people in 1938. 1938, wasn't that long ago, 100 years ago. More than 20% of the world's population. What factors contributed to the fall of the Roman Republic? Roman Republic, Rome was a republic. These are, what, these are what contributed to the fall of the Roman Republic. Economic inequality, military upheaval, civil war, and the rise of Caesar. Instead of republic, it went to a Caesar. Uh, the global empire is no longer regional. So you have empires. These empires came and went. Um, Rome, for example, was based in Italy. And it grew and covered some area and it went away. Um, the Mongolian Empire, all these empires came and went, but they were regional. They were regional. You guys, the next step is a one-world government. And it, too, is going to fail. But it's coming. The whole thing is going to fail under Antichrist. So the whole world, is, it's not going to be a regional thing anymore, you guys. It's going to be a worldwide thing. That's the next phase. Um, worldwide government is coming. So... Just a little note here, the average age of empires, according to a specialist on the subject, the late Sir John Baggett Glubb, is 250 years. Okay, So the average empire lasts 250 years. After that, empires always die, often slowly but overwhelmingly from overreaching in the search for power. The America of 1776 will reach its 250th year in 2026. Okay, um, Romans 12, 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives even when faced with death. Praise the Lord. You guys remember I said there was two nuggets? One nugget was Peter, the um, little rock. So in closing, uh, we as Christians are not supposed to win the earthly or physical war. We must understand giant lies are being spread as truth and the truth of the gospel is being mistaught. Misinformation being opposed by misinformation. It is imperative that we walk with our God and speak his truths, the word of God without bias. We lose the physical battle. We lose the physical battle, guys. This earth is going to fade away. He who does the most toys dies we're not here to take up space. We're here for a reason. We will be persecuted. We will be shamed. We will be killed. And we will have eternal life. Praise the Lord. What are God's purposes? To have a perfect, harmonious world? Yes, it was. However, man sinned it to death. We have sinned it to death. All God has ever wanted is for us to embrace him and love him. However, mankind is not willing. Some are, and we as Christ followers have the most precious and magnificent task, caring for what is important to our God and not being moved by the cares of this world. Like David cast a stone, 
We're to cast something else. What are we called to cast as Christians? God cast the truth. We're called to cast seeds. We throw seeds, right? What else can we do? Seeds of salvation. That's exactly right. We're called to throw seeds. The evil one's going to come and try to snatch them up. Of course, it's going to happen. But we are called. Our call to action, I was talking about earlier. Remember when I said we have a call to action? Praise the Lord, we have a call to action. Our call to action, you guys, to defeat all this stuff is to throw seeds. You want to take down the evil that's in this world, you want to win the battle here on earth. The battle, the battle that we have is to save souls, is to shine our light, is to let them know about Christ and to be saved and have eternal life. We cast seeds. That's how we win. That's how we win. We don't make the increase, you guys. We just cast the seeds. The Lord makes the increase. We have got to cast seeds. That's how we win. That's how we save lives. And that's how we move people out of Satan's kingdom into the heavenly kingdom. Like David, we're called to cast, but not rocks. As Peter, the figurative rock that was cast into Satan's head, as we cast the seed of the Spirit, the spiritual battle is being won. Our battle is to win the lost, regardless of how ridiculous the person looks, smells, or acts. These poor lost souls can be defeated out of Satan's kingdom and won into God's with one seed. You want to win the almighty war? Here's your call to arms. You must cast seed. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your mercy, your kindness. Father, we pray that you would empower us for divine appointments with others, Lord, that we would be able to deliver seed. We'd be able to cast seed, Father, to the lost, Lord, that somehow, someway, we'd say things that are moving, uh, that, are, that are of your will and that are right in your sight, Lord, in that people, non-believers, people that don't know you, Lord, would come to know you, that they would hear about you through us. Um, Father, things that we do, things we say, whatever it might be, Lord, that we would be used by you to touch the lost somehow, some way, Father. Help us not to look through our own eyes, Father, but through your eyes. When we see somebody who's transgender or we see somebody that is just, Father, just so lost, that we wouldn't be repulsed by them, Father, but we'd want to go love on them and plant a seed in them, Father, and win that battle. Please, Father, help us not to look through our own eyes, but through your spiritual eyes, Lord, because we can be repulsed. We can be pushed away. And it's a great tactic by Satan, Lord, that he can get us to just say, I want nothing to do with that person. Look at him. But Lord, that we would get beyond that. But by the power of your spirit, Father, we'd overcome that and that we would go forward and say something or do something and love on that person who is so lost, Lord. Please, Jesus, for your glory, Father, empower us, strengthen us, help us to stay locked arm in arm, brothers and sisters, brotherhoods, a brotherhood in Christ, a brotherhood for you, Father, that we'd walk with each other, love on each other, care for each other, iron would sharpen iron, and we'd do wonderful things for each other, Father, in your name. Father, please go before us this week. Use us for your glory. Please forgive us of our sins and help us to sin no more. In Jesus' name, amen.